Dancing with a Black Elephant? Who's Dancing with a Black Elephant? What is Dancing with a Black Elephant? Who's Dancing with a Black Elephant? Dancing with the Black Elephant? From Yeshiva University, this is Andrew Boyarski, and you are listening to Dancing with the Black Elephant. We're here with Alex Glickman, who is Area Vice Chairman and Managing Director and Practice Leader at Gallagher Real Estate and Hospitality Services at Arthur J. Gallagher & Company. Alex has 34 years of experience representing virtually every asset class and ownership structure in the real estate industry. In 1997, she launched Marsh's Real Estate and Hospitality Practice and has led Gallagher's practice since 2001. Alex has pioneered many real estate-specific insurance products and services and lectures frequently. She has been recognized by Risk and Insurance Magazine as a power broker in the real estate category for nine of the past 13 years and a finalist in three of the past 13. Alex was presented the Real Estate Industry Outstanding Achievement Award by the Los Angeles County Bar Association Real Estate Section in 2012 and named one of Real Estate Forum's 50 Outstanding Women in 2012, 2013, and 2014. She's a full member of the Urban Land Institute, ULI, and on the President's Council of the Real Estate Roundtable, as well as a member of the ICSC and NAREIT. Alex is a graduate of UC Berkeley and is the past chair of the City of Hope Real Estate and Construction Division. Thank you very much for joining our podcast, Alex. Thank you for the invitation, Andrew. I'm pleased to be here. Well, the first thing I'd like to find out about is if you could tell us a little bit about the work that you do in Gallagher & Company. I've been at Gallagher, as you know, since 2001, and I lead the worldwide real estate and hospitality practice. So the purpose of that practice is to really focus in on the operational, financial, total enterprise risk management needs of clients who are in every aspect of real estate, hospitality, and the financial aspects of real estate and hospitality. So it is all the different exposures that, as you can imagine, organizations of that ilk have in common. So according to a recent article in the New York Times, uh, 2017 was the most expensive in terms of natural hazard-based losses, uh, over $300 billion in the U.S. uh, due to wildfire, hurricanes, storms, and floods. Uh, Much of that uncovered. Based on your experience, what are some of the additional measures that large enterprises may need to undertake in the near future to mitigate the impacts from these types of natural hazards? Andrew, you're right. There is an expected $145 billion of insured losses, which has really forced organizations to look at their operations from a standpoint of loss mitigation and also from a standpoint of underwriting their exposures prior to the acquisition process. We spend a lot of time talking with clients about things that seem possibly mundane, like age of roofs, construction codes, making sure that they have redundant systems for energy and for fire life safety. So whereas before catastrophic losses set in, and we had a pretty benign five, six years where nobody really paid much attention to anything, now with the losses that were experienced last year, particularly in the real estate and hospitality industry, when you have an exposure to tier one wind, and flooding, as well as catastrophic earthquake, clients and organizations really need to focus on what they are doing to mitigate the losses before they happen. And to that end, too, 
taking the time to express to the underwriters what they are doing from an operational standpoint. Because as you know, in the world in which you are, you function, it's all about mitigating the loss after it's happened. If you can do that, it's even better if you can mitigate the loss before it's happened. So what are some of the unique aspects to risk management and coverage for the two industries that you're involved with, real estate and hospitality? People think about real estate as strictly a stick and brick business, but it's not. It is so far from that. There are the operational exposures, which really excite me. I'm in New York today meeting with DNO underwriters and a client who has a fascinating platform, which is a single-family home platform. And the conversation with the underwriters, the DNO folks, really spoke about the financial wherewithal of the organization, what was their exposure to third-party liability, were there fair housing practice issues, what were they doing relative to pollution legal liability. All of these were in the context of how are they running their business. And so there is not just the operational side, which is the directors and officers and the E&O, it's also the property side and the liability. I think so frequently people look at risk management in a one-dimensional manner, and it's not. That's the, that's the beauty of what we do for a living. You have to look at the interdependent financial pieces because it's all about making sure that it's an ongoing operation. If I may, one of the things that you're bringing up here is that it's, it's, it's much larger than just the financial-based losses or typical what we consider hazard-based losses. So there's a much stronger strategic and operational component to it. During the years that you've been involved in the business, how much has this has changed in terms of that strategic and operational component? I think the strategic and operational has changed materially, particularly in the last five to seven years. Cyber exposures have changed. We had never even thought about cyber exposures seven to ten years ago. It was something that was out of a Star Wars movie. But now that is a conversation that we have every day. We were talking about SOX compliance. So when you look at the exposure that an organization has relative to their investors or relative to their lenders or relative to their tenants or their vendors or anybody who walks upon that asset, it's not just, oh my God, we're going to have a fire. It is so beyond that at this point. And I think the smart owners and operators recognize that they have many, many stakeholders and they have to satisfy their expectations for risk mitigation. So it is 3D chess at its finest. How is the use of technology changing the nature of risk management in these industries? And you talked a little bit about this in, the, uh, in your answers to the previous questions, but I want to find out a little bit more about some of the influences of what's going on nowadays, things like the Internet of Things or IoT. Uh, we talked a little bit about uh, blockchain before we got started here, but there are some technologies, I'm sure, that are top of mind in those things that are influencing your practices. Absolutely. The predictive analytics has become much more prevalent, not just from an underwriting standpoint, but also from helping clients understand what their exposures really are. When I started in this business 35 years ago, I remember vividly when we had the earthquake 
1994, in the Northridge quake, and the question was, how bad were the losses going to be? Because no one even knew there was a fault line in Northridge. So these were the nascent days of earthquake analytics and probable maximum loss analysis. It has become so much more sophisticated now that we are able to not just look at the SUL, the, the scenario ultimate losses or scenario expected losses for earthquake, but also for wind. We can, we're doing more and more when it comes to flood evaluations. And it's interesting, you think about the Harvey loss, approximately 85% of all the flood losses were in areas that were not flood zone A or V. 85%. So just when you think you can go to sleep and life is all kitties and puppies, it's not. You have to recognize that when you talk about a natural disaster, it can really, really have some significant impacts where you thought it might not. So I think analytics, we use a program called EigenPRISM, and we literally can tell our clients in real-time data where their portfolios are expected to be impacted based on storm surges. It's fascinating. So underwriters are using this more, and I think the smarter clients and the more sophisticated brokers are doing it as well. So to basically pay down their risk through mitigation measures, is that correct? Well, it's some of that, but it's also understanding what should they be purchasing in terms of appropriate limits. You can have a portfolio of a billion dollars that's exposed in tier one wind, but does that mean you should have a billion dollar limit? No. It's understanding the more specific exposures looking at past storm patterns, as an example. Same thing, as I said, applies when it comes to earthquake, California earthquake or Pacific Northwest. So it's also giving clients an opportunity to say, these are your cost drivers. These are the assets that are contributing most to your exposure. So would it be more prudent that you put the money into retrofitting? Sometimes the answer is yes. So instead of just throwing the dice and hoping for the best, it's about giving clients and organizations those analytic tools on which they can make the best financial decisions based on how long they expect to own an asset and their operational use. Can you tell me about one of your most interesting specific experiences in your career so far? That is such a loaded question. I have been very fortunate to have had quite a few interesting experiences in life. I think one of the most interesting and satisfying was about 11 years ago, a business partner, Charlotte Stone, and I were named the Lloyd's Brokers of the Year, which was really pretty cool. And it was for the work that we had been doing in the London market to expand the footprint because in the old days, utilizing Lloyd's was a very exotic concept. Now, if you fast forward, working in the London market and having London capacity on a risk is really a very typical, logical use. So my background started in, again, real estate, hospitality, and in property. But I've always been fascinated by the shared and layered approach and making sure that when you look at the unpredictability of the commodity basis of insurance, that there's always a plan B. So I would say that was a pretty great moment in my life, B 
being presented by the chairman of Lloyd's, Lord Peter Levine. In your three decades in the risk field, how has the profession changed? When I started back when the dinosaurs were roaming the earth, it was it was the insurance answer to madmen. It was very, very rare to find any women of any particular import that was considered an anomaly. And so it had was typically the proverbial white guy who was a great golfer who could pick a wonderful bottle of wine. And there was not that much emphasis placed on the technical side. Thankfully, we have evolved, and now it is much more a meritocracy. So I think you see that in terms of bringing in smarter people who may not have been exposed to this business, because as you know, this is very much, if my daddy had done it and my daddy's daddy had done it, then there's a pretty good chance that you're going to end up in the insurance business. So it is much more meritocracy-based. It is more analytic, and it really does require, I believe, a higher caliber of thinking and probably a lower emphasis on golf. Just as an ad follow-on to that, is that how you got into the business? No, I got into this business because I graduated from Berkeley in 1981, which was a very tough year to graduate from school. And so I needed a job, which I got at a mere $1,000 a month, but that was a lot of money back then. And I actually worked for a company called Blackman Mooring, which was in the catastrophic loss restoration business. But I've always loved contracts, and I've always been fascinated by insurance and real estate, something my family was in. And I was charged with expanding business relationships with brokers. So J&H, Johnson Higgins, was one of those companies. And I actually met a wonderful mentor of mine, Tim Matthews, at a RIMS tennis tournament. And we were talking, and I was pretty young at the time, about 23. And he said, you should come and interview. And I thought, oh, why not? And so that was 35 years ago. Best decision I ever made. For our listening audience, some of whom are current risk professionals and those aspiring to enter into the profession, so we like to you know, introduce that in this program, what makes this industry an exciting one to work in? I love what I do for a living. After 35 years, I still want to put on the proverbial cleats and go out and play because it requires to do it well. It requires a pretty strong stomach. It requires a deep interest in human behavior. It requires knowledge of financial markets and an understanding of contracts and law. And it requires a curiosity. Because what we do for a living isn't just placing insurance. It's really understanding the business objectives of our clients. And when you look at somebody who has a, an operation where there is an extreme number of workers' comp claims, you have to ask the question, why? What's going on from an operational standpoint? What's coming, going on from a, from a culture standpoint? So what I've always appreciated about insurance and the brokerage world is it's not just what, it's why. So I encourage, I am the biggest flag waver when it comes to the insurance industry. I think it's a great, great industry for young people to consider. 
It may not sound terribly sexy, but it's very satisfying. Alex, I want to thank you very much for coming on the podcast today. Andrew, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you very much. We spoke with Alex Glickman, Area Vice Chairman and Managing Director and Practice Leader for Gallagher Real Estate and Hospitality Services at Arthur J. Gallagher & Company. Find out more about our programs, including our MS in Enterprise Risk Management, at our website, www.yu.edu forward slash K-A-T-Z or CATS. We would like to hear your feedback on our podcasts, so please send us any questions or comments to us at CATSPODCAST, K-A-T-Z-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at Y-U dot E-D-U. Thanks for listening.